resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up to the closest high point. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kissing Was. The Pacific Pacific Ufala must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones, and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. Coming up in this episode, a tsunami as high as a coconut tree has the potential to devastate areas of Fiji. But where? Major research that sets out to answer that and other questions has just been released. How to prepare for a major electrical storm and the seven kinds of false information you may encounter during a disaster. Disasters are inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So... Let's prepare. It was a terrifying night. It was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific prepared. How are you listening to us right now? Are you hearing us via your local radio station? Perhaps in local language? Are you hearing us via Radio Australia? Streaming on the internet? On international shortwave radio, international FM. What about your friends, family and relatives? Could they access this or other emergency information sent over the airwaves? You may be surprised to learn that a survey following the devastating Cyclone Gita in 2018 revealed that many Tongans didn't get critical warnings about the impending disaster because they simply didn't have a battery-powered or solar radio. And with next cyclone season now on the horizon, Pacific Prepared correspondent and Tonga Broadcasting Commission reporter Anasiu Falakayono reports that authorities say a radio should be top of your disaster survival list. Radio is a key tool in Tonga in times of natural disasters and the warnings are issued by authorities via the radio. A survey by the National Emergency Management Office or NEMO following Gita in 2018 reveals that most vulnerable population do not receive the warnings simply because they do not have a radio. Director of NEMO Mafuamaka says this is a great concern as they are now working with related stakeholders to ensure the most vulnerable population have receivers when warnings are issued. Following Gita, a survey was held and it showed that most of the households did not have a radio for reasons because they could not afford one. This is a concern for us because people need to be updated on the latest weather forecast when they're issued via radio. When warnings are issued, it is meant that people should start preparing and be informative to make wise decisions. Radio is the main medium of communication between the main islands and the outer islands, and it also reaches the far northern islands. 
The information broadcast on radio is to help people prepare before the cyclone makes landfall, know what to do during the cyclone, and also make the wise decisions following a natural disaster. The director of NEMO says if people want to be more prepared, they need to have a radio because having a radio will provide warnings and informative messages from authorities. Maka says they are working with related stakeholders to distribute battery-operated radios to the most vulnerable population in Tonga, especially elderly. One of the key partners of NEMO is the Tonga Red Cross Society. The Secretary-General of Tonga Red Cross, Yone Taumwe Folau, urges guardians and caregivers of people living with disabilities and elderly to start preparing for the next cyclone season by getting small but useful resources such as a radio. Guardians are key people when looking after people living with disabilities, and as such, they are needed to be more prepared first before we actually arrive at the scene to provide more assistance. On our line of duty, when a disaster strikes, we first have to establish a line of communication between our office and those looking after people with disabilities. We work hand in hand with the National Emergency Management Office, NEMO, and related stakeholders to assist those who need help urgently. We also have a list of people living with disabilities and they are our priority when we go out to the communities. We also look out for elderly who are in need of our assistance. When Gida made landfall, the main issue was that people living with disabilities, so in other words, they were not informed to prepare for a cyclone simply because they did not have a radio. The guardians heavily rely on electronic radio, but the power was turned off during the preparation process for safety reasons. When the power was out, there were no source of information provided and the people with disabilities did not understand what was happening. Without getting the warnings timely, it could yield disastrous results. As such, the Secretary General of Tonga Red Cross says simply getting a battery-operated radio is now the best preparation for the upcoming cyclone season. In Tonga, most of the warnings are issued via radio, where people are being urged to start with preparing now when they have time. Tangwe Fulao adds the people living with disabilities have other specific needs, and when a cyclone strikes, they have to ensure that they are safe, well-placed and secured at safer places, such as evacuation centres during the preparation process. The Secretary-General adds the main message from the end is preparation with necessary tools such as a radio because once guidance of people living with disabilities are well informed, they start preparing not only for themselves but also for the people living with disabilities. Meanwhile, the Director of Tonga Meteorological Services, Ofa Fanunu, once again re-emphasizes the significance of being prepared now with a few more months before November to avoid major damage recorded. Pacific Prepared correspondent and Tonga Broadcasting Commission reporter Anasiu Falakayono speaking with the Tongan Red Cross and the National Emergency Management Office about the importance of radio during cyclone season. Take a moment to think who you know that doesn't have a radio. How might they get one? Could it be a gift? Please consider the possibilities between now and cyclone season because listening and learning may mean living through the next big one. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. 
Pacific Prepared. Think of someone standing on your shoulders, then someone on their shoulders, and then someone on their shoulders, and then someone on their shoulders. That could reach the top of a coconut tree, right? Well, that is how high a tsunami wave could be in some parts of the Pacific. Now, imagine you are in charge of disaster preparation in your country. You can't put a warning speaker on every tree, so where is the greatest danger? How do you know you are putting it in the right place? Major research that set out to answer these questions has just been released for Fiji, and Pacific Prepared reporter Shreya Kumar spoke with leading researcher Bapon Fakhrudin and started by asking why he's so interested in these giant waves. I started my tsunami activity back in 2004 when there was the biggest, you know, the Indian Ocean Boxing Day tsunami happened. And that gives me a privilege to work in the Indian Ocean country to develop a tsunami, Indian Ocean tsunami warning system. If you recall, there was a tsunami warning issued in Fiji in back in 2017, in January probably. And that gave a, a quite a bit of challenges to the Fiji uh, government to issue a warning and in, in a right manner, as well as uh, there was a lot of challenges uh, and panic between the community. And that's one of the reasons, actually, I thought uh, with having such kind of experiences in, in the Indian Ocean, how I can apply that for the Fiji, and that motivated me to actually work in Fiji. What comes next in this process of discovery? If you want to do a Fiji tsunami warning system, you have to understand first the tsunami risk, how actually it impacts to our people, how it impacts to our infrastructure. So this study actually tried to look at the overall tsunami exposure and hazard assessment. As you may be um, familiar that Fiji actually didn't have any sort of scientifically tsunami hazard assessment in the past. So we try to uh, develop a robust tsunami hazard assessment which could allow the government to better understand what are their major exposure area and what are the vulnerable infrastructures so that they can better plan for response as well as setting up a appropriate warning system. What are the special challenges around tsunami preparation, given that they are somewhat rare, quite unpredictable, but very devastating? Absolutely. I mean, as, as we all know that actually tsunami are one of the most powerful and destructive natural hazard which could impact any of the coastal communities. Uh, one of the biggest challenge in uh, tsunami preparation is that um, because this has not happened regularly and its uh, return period is quite um, long, uh, we often actually forget the stories that what happened in the past and we cannot actually recall those memory, what we call like a faded memory. Uh, if we don't actually properly carry on those kind of memories, and there are actually, you'll see always there is a lots of priority by donor, by government, as well as development partner. When there is a tsunami happen, from there on, maybe next five years. But after five years or 10 years, it start actually get less priority by the political environment, by the donor environment. 
And as well as there are actually a lot of cost engagement to fully operational a tsunami warning system um, and also setting up those kind of you know, rapid alert notification system. If you compare with Fiji, where you have only actually, if there is a local tsunami, that could give you maximum nine-minute window. But if there is a distant tsunami, it maybe you have a one hour to a couple of hours uh, time to get prepared and you know evacuate on taking taking a safe shelter. But sending out a warning within a nine minute is impossible in, in this kind of situation. And having that kind of system in place, it requires a heavily cost engagement and which is sometimes quite challenging to maintain. And these are the things actually often uh, doesn't maintain quite uh, regularly and fall apart over the period of time. And that's the biggest challenge in the tsunami warning system as well as uh, any kind of you know mitigation as well as preparedness. Could you tell us more about the key findings from the research? Uh, we did this tsunami hazard assessment and one of our key findings was that many of your area could actually get a tsunami inundation more than 10 meter height um, and then it could actually really um, uh, impact several of your community. One of the best um, achievement for this study that this is a one of the state-of-art science study based on the earthquake scenario that has been developed by the Geoscience Australia in 2019. And we try to look at a one in thousand year and 10,000 years return period of tsunami, what could happen for a country like Fiji. And um, Obviously, when you consider your overall cost is a tsunami porn, you as a government need to understand actually what would be your priority investment. Uh, where are you going to put your first investment to setting up, say, maybe siren system, making a robust building? So you need to get a proper uh, exposure as well as risk assessment. And this study actually helped the government to better understand what would be the probable tsunami extent, what could be the maximum tsunami height, and as well as what are the key hotspots based on your asset as well as population so that you need to prioritize your investment uh, in those areas rather than to invest to the whole country. Because Fiji um, as a country, you have series many islands which are which are actually quite highly exposed to uh, multi-hazard so if you don't able to prioritize your area of interest uh, it would be very difficult for any government to invest such amount of money in one or one pay that's i think this study able to provide a more scientific assessment of tsunami risk and based on the tsunami risk they are able to identify that what could be the major hotspot for them and how many number of buildings how many number of houses as well as population and critical infrastructure are at risk and what could be a probable warning system they should actually invest immediately to ensuring that their population are actually safe. Have there been any outcomes which were the least expected? We try to define, uh, say, the government want to invest uh, 10 siren tower 
and then they need to d- define actually where they will be installing those things. And this kind of assessment helped them to define that what are the major area they took actually first install that 10 siren and then phase-wise how they can actually allocate additional sirens once the resource is available. But also uh, this study um, gave them the disaster, National Disaster Management Office uh, to help those community to better preparedness uh, that to provide them what does a tsunami means to them and how actually they could utilize their capacity building. And also they try to engage the private telecommunication operator like Vodafone and others, how that could be engaged for a more public and private engagement to mass broadcasting, self, uh, self, uh, self call priority, as well as uh, enhancing their asset in those area so that that could be tsunami prone uh, for the future. Pacific Prepared reporter Shreya Kumar speaking with leading researcher Bapon Farkrudin about new findings into the tsunami danger spots around Fiji and what communities need to be better prepared. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. Lightning strikes the earth more than 8 million times per day. The risk of being struck is low, but lightning strikes are often deadly. Storms otherwise present many of the same threats as cyclones, such as strong winds and damaging rains. To be prepared to save your life, your loved ones, and your home during a disaster, you need to act now. Here's what to do to be ready for a severe electrical storm. Pay attention to early weather warnings of potential lightning strikes such as high winds, dark clouds, or distant thunder or lightning. When these occur, do not start any activity that you cannot quickly stop. If a storm is approaching, avoid anything tall or high, including rooftops, scaffolding, poles, ladders, trees, and large equipment such as bulldozers, cranes, and tractors. Do not carry any metal objects. Your chances of a direct lightning hit are higher when you are carrying a conductor above shoulder level. If you are outdoors and on foot, perhaps gardening or walking, and a storm hits, separate from other members of the group and spread out. Find refuge immediately. Do not walk or work in an electrical storm. Stay away from water and wet items. If on a mountain, stay away from ridges, high points, single trees and power lines. If you are in the bush, stay near smaller trees. If you are caught in an open area, do not lie down. You can be shocked even if you don't take a direct hit if you lie flat on the ground. Crouch in a ball instead. Thunder usually means lightning. Any lightning strikes are much more common if you are outside. Remember the phrase, when thunder roars, go indoors. 
find a safe, enclosed shelter when you hear thunder. This could be a home, office, shop or hardtop vehicle with windows rolled up. When a storm strikes, it is often too late to make a plan. So prepare now. Include everyone. Make it fun and be prepared. This information has been compiled from multiple official government and non-government agencies across the Pacific and the world. Commission's Anasiu Falakeono, helping you know what to do now before you encounter an electrical storm. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. If you have Facebook, you're familiar with the different ways you can respond. Laugh, cry, care, and even angry emojis. When we see a friend's mother has died or that our cousin has a new baby... It makes us feel things. We get emotional. It's the same during disasters. We are scared and desperate to know what is happening, so we turn online. But not everyone there has good intentions. First Draft is a non-profit organization that works to protect communities from harmful disinformation by sharing tips and resources to build resilience and improve access to accurate information. Its Asia-Pacific director, Anne Kruger, has spoken with Pacific Prepared reporter Apelli Lalanavesi and me to talk about protecting ourselves from bad information during a disaster. And she's about to tell you the seven different types of false information you could be fooled by. Sometimes things are satire or parody. Um, they're meant as, um, as a joke, but we don't always realise that it's satire or parody. Sometimes things can be, you know, imposter content. So there is a reason that people are trying to pretend to be an account um, that they're not um, and they're trying to spread, um, you know, harmful information because, you know, they might be against the government. They might be trying to make the government look weaker. Uh, They might be trying to spread their own ideologies. So just be aware that just because you see something on your screen it's so easy to fabricate this content. It's so easy to just generate a false story, a completely fabricated story. Um, it's so easy for people to, um, you know, cut and paste images and even videos now and make them look like they're something that they're not. And they look really compelling. They look really, well, realistic, basically. Um, but quite often, this is content that can be 100% false, designed to deceive, designed to do harm. Or it could be genuine information and images that do exist, but they've been cut and pasted um, to deceive. They've been put into a completely different context. There have been statistics that have been used to mislead. So we actually have what we call seven types of missing disinformation that we refer to that first draft. And I think it's just worth being aware of this satire and parody that 
doesn't mean to cause harm, but it certainly has the potential to fool people. We have false connection where there are headlines and visuals um, and captions that are really like clickbait. They're just designed to to get your attention, but they don't deliver on on that headline. There's the misleading content um, that's you know really this misleading use of information to to frame an issue or an individual, but they're doing it in a really misleading way. False context um, where you've got genuine content, but it's just shared um, in wrong or, or a new um, contextual way. Um, it's, it's not an accurate way to share that information. There's the imposter content that I mentioned before. This is really effective because imposter content will often use a logo that we recognize. So it's like, oh, I know that logo. That's a really well-known logo. So immediately it has that authenticity and we trust it. But we have to be aware that it might not really be them behind the scenes there. The manipulated content that I mentioned, you know, it's so easy to cut and paste and change images and videos. And fabricated content is the last one that we deal with. It's just new content. It's 100% false. It's designed to deceive and do harm, but it's usually done in a really compelling way. So I think it's a matter of just being aware that we've got misinformation and disinformation We've also got seven different types on this spectrum of misinformation and disinformation, you know, and that can come in the form of a TikTok video. It can come in the form, you know, of a meme um, and anything really that can carry information. So, you know, just, just like a meme, we see this and within a few seconds we make decisions or we have a certain understanding but just be aware that all is not what it seems a lot of the time so check your emotions just think about hmm, is this really authentic where have they got that information from and that's basically we're using our critical thinking and we're starting to really use that good old-fashioned common sense that our parents tell us to use we're really thinking for ourselves Oh, I'm just going to be aware. Now, you might not have all the answers for what you're seeing, and that's fine because it can take time to, to actually find out what is, you know, if, if it's authentic or not. But the number one thing I think to, to think about, especially if you're in the midst of a disaster or a, a disaster is approaching or has just passed, just really take care, be prepared beforehand that you've got your access to those reliable sources that you know should be the government information, the reliable broadcasters, tune into those ones because you can guarantee that they're the ones that are held responsible, um, that they are the ones that have to do their checks and balances rather than, um, you know, a lot of the messages that you might be sort of seeing circulating. Sure, get your eyewitness accounts from people, but they've got to be eyewitness accounts that they have seen not oh someone told me that they saw something that they saw something you know you're not getting to necessarily the heart of the information there so be prepared beforehand and know who who are the consistently reliable sources of information in my community who are those reliable journalists who who are the reliable uh, communicators in our community um, when it comes to any situation focus on that and just when you get messages that are coming through, just beware, just keep in mind, you don't have to recite back to me those seven types of misinformation and disinformation, but just be aware that that's what can exist, that that, that is what you might be actually facing. 
First Draft's Asia-Pacific Director Ann Kruger, speaking with Pacific Prepared reporter Apelli Lalanavesi and me about protecting ourselves from bad information during a disaster. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It is produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio PWFM, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. My name is Aaron Carney. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you have learned here and together we will help get the Pacific prepared. <laughs>